Welcome to another Poetica podcast from RN. I'm Justine Sloan-Lees. Just two weeks before she died in May this year, at the age of 86, the poet, writer, activist and teacher, Dr Maya Angelou, gave one of her last interviews to Poetica producer Fiona Kroll. An eloquent champion of race and gender equality, Maya Angelou said her hope for the world was that people will one day look into each other's faces and say good morning and mean it. A civil rights advocate alongside Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, Dr Angelo was awarded the United States' highest civilian honour, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, in 2001 by Barack Obama. And after her death, Obama described her as one of the brightest lights of our time. Maya Angelou is well known for her poem, on the Pulse of Morning, written and read for Bill Clinton's inauguration in 1993, as well as His Day is Done, which she wrote on the death of Nelson Mandela. Maya Angelou first came to the world's attention with her potent 1969 memoir, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is considered an American classic and deals with the racism and sexual violence she experienced while growing up in Arkansas. In this memoir, Maya wrote about being raped at the age of seven by her mother's then-boyfriend. This horrific incident left Maya speechless, literally. And as she tells us on the phone from her home in the States, Maya was mute for years before being unlocked by gospel and blues lyrics. This is Maya Angelou, A Life in Poetry. Shine on me, sunshine. Rain on me, rain, fall softly dewdrops and cool my brow again. Storm, blow me from here with your fiercest wind. Let me float across the sky till I can rest again. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. In every town and village, in every city square, in crowded places, I searched the faces, hoping to find someone to care. When my bones are stiff and aching and my feet won't climb the stair, I will only ask one favor, don't bring me no rocking chair. If we can go back to the beginning, when did you start writing poetry and and perhaps tell us what drove you to it to really get your words onto the page? I think uh, I may have been about eight or nine. I stopped speaking for a number of years, and but I loved poetry. And so when I realized that it was just words on pages, people's thoughts, I thought, I can write that. I, I, I probably wrote the, some of the worst poetry west of the Rocky Mountains, but still I wrote it. And, uh, I, and I loved the poetry in, in spiritual music, in the gospel music, in the, in the sacred music the lyrics. So um, I just tried to imitate it. And then then, uh, my grandmother would 
with whom I lived and who was raising me and my brother. She didn't want any worldly music in the house. So I didn't get a chance to hear any blues until I moved to my mother's house. And when I moved there, ah, then I heard blues and I heard the lyrics. And the first one that really made me cry, it was so beautiful. Well, the first line I can remember was a question in the blues was, have you ever had the blues so bad you could feel them in the palm of your hand? I loved it. I mean, that was 70 years ago and or longer, and I can still feel like I can, I can cry at the very mention of that. Still I Rise You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides just like hopes springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? <laughs> Don't take it awful hard, this cause I laugh. <laughs> As if I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like life, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance as if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak Miraculously clear, I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave, and so I rise, I rise, I rise. So those blues lyrics really spoke to you. What what else was it that you drew upon in your writing, like your life experiences? And, you know, you, know, you talk a lot about it in I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings yeah. from 1969 in your childhood. And you mentioned there that, you know, you didn't speak for a few years after that horrendous experience that you went through. Can you talk a bit about some of your themes that you've drawn upon from your life that you feel that you need to express in poetry? Well, I'll answer that, I hope, by answering it this way. I have never heard a human voice I didn't like. I've heard the content of the speech, 
that was hurtful or ugly or mean. But the voice itself, I really fell for the human voice. And so I listened carefully to people who spoke. I used to think of my whole body as an ear, and I could go into a room and just absorb the sound of people speaking. I don't know quite where poetry begins and prose starts. Uh, It's so hard for me. I like what people say. I like how they say it. The accident of poetry must come to the poet as a surprise because when you can write it yourself and it makes other people weep or shake or tremble, you know you've been given something. And, and of course, the writing of it at first is not enough because you have to rewrite and rewrite and clean it up and, and edit and edit until you feel that you can take a few nouns and pronouns and verbs and adverbs and adjectives and, and ball them together and throw them against the wall and make them bounce, make people want to have peace, make people want to fall in love make people have enough courage to accept love in return. That's when you're really doing it, I think. Ain't that bad? Dancing the funky chicken, eating ribs and tips, digging all the latest sound, drinking gin and sips. Now ain't that bad? Ain't that black? Ain't that black? And ain't that bad? Ain't that bad? And ain't that black? And ain't that fine? Putting down that do-rag, tightening up my fro, wrapping up in blackness. Don't I shine and glow? And ain't I bad? And ain't I black? And ain't I bad? And ain't I black? Ain't I bad and ain't I black and ain't that fine? Hearing Stevie Wonder eating beans and rice, going to the opera, checking out Leontine Price, get down Jesse Jackson, dance on Alvin Ailey, talk Miss Barbara Jordan, and groove Miss Pearly Bailey, and ain't they bad? And ain't they black? And ain't they bad, and ain't they black, and ain't they fine? Black like the hour of the night when your love turns and wriggles close to your side. Black as the earth which has given birth to nations, and when all else is gone, will abide. Bad as the storm that leaps raging from the heavens, bringing the welcome rain. Bad as the sun burning orange hot at midday, lifting the waters again. Arthur Ashe was on the tennis court. Muhammad Ali was in the ring. Andre Watson, Andrew Young, black men doing their thing. And ain't they bad? And ain't they black? And ain't they bad? And ain't they black? And ain't they fine? Dressing in purples and pinks and greens, exotic as rum and coats, living our lives with flash and style. Ain't we colorful? Folks, and ain't we bad? And ain't we black? And ain't we black? And ain't we bad? And ain't we bad? And ain't we black? And ain't we fine? Would you describe yourself also as a political poet? 
Well, I'm a poet and everything is political. I wouldn't have described myself as that. But I don't run from politics when I'm writing poetry any more than I run from love or loss. No, I'm human. And as human beings, we live politically. We live in political groups. And even in the group of one, it's a political group. So, yes. But I still wouldn't describe myself as a political poet. Mr. President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere, a rock, a river, a tree, hosts to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here on our planet floor. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us, clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny, but seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here. You, created only a little lower than the angels, have crouched too long in the bruising darkness, have lain too long face down in ignorance, your mouths spilling words armed for slaughter. The rock cries out to us today, you may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made, proud, yet thrusting perpetually under siege. Your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore, currents of debris upon my breast. Yet today, I call you to my riverside. If you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the song. Here, on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out and upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country, no less to Midas than the mendicant, no less to you now than the mastodon then. Here, on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes and into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning. Can you take us back to 1993 when you were invited to write a poem and you delivered it? at the inauguration of President Clinton on the polls of morning. Can you take us through that poem and, and what was it, that you, the sentiments that you were getting across there? I just wanted to say that this is our world. It belongs to all of us, to the Japanese and the Jainists, to the Buddhists and the hip-hoppers. This is our world. It belongs to the whites and the blacks and the Asians, Spanish-speaking Native Americans, it belongs to the alley up in Alaska. Yes, all of us. 
Yes, the Maoris. So I wanted to say that, that this new president coming in was heralding a new time, a new horizon. And we might really have enough courage to look at each other and say, hello, good morning. I wrote another piece. The United Nations asked me to write a piece, Brave and Startling Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, Maya Angelou. President Clinton, all presidents, all excellencies, all friends, I wrote this piece for every human being on earth. We, this people, on a small and lonely planet, traveling through casual space, past aloof stars, across the way of indifferent suns, to a destination where all signs tell us it is possible and imperative that we discover a brave and startling truth. And when we come to it, to the day of peacemaking, when we release our fingers from fists of hostility and allow the pure air to cool our palms, when we come to it, when the curtain falls on the minstrel show of hate and faces sooted with scorn are scrubbed clean, when battlefields and coliseum no longer rake our unique and particular sons and daughters up with the bruised and bloody grass to lie in identical plots in foreign lands. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kithless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace. We, out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety and without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Brave and startling truth again. After I had written the inaugural poem for Mr. Clinton's entry into the presidency, United Nations people called and asked if I would write a poem for the celebration of the founding of United Nations. And I had been in San Francisco during that time, and I watched Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, and she had a good friend, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, an African-American educator, and the two of them would go into the building of United Nations together, and I just would watch them. And I was 16 years old, I think, or thereabouts. So I longed to go in that building with them, and and just to hear them speak and to hear all those different languages spoken, 
And of course, 50 years later, to be asked to write, uh, maybe, I don't know, but some years later to be asked to write a poem heralding the founding of United Nations made me think how blessed I am, how grateful I am, and how this gift given to me and this charge put upon me, if I work hard enough, it would mean something to somebody, somebody who is yet to come. It's there at United Nations in New York now, engraved on crystal. duty, you know, to love, to give to people and to give peace. And of course, someone who was is very similar was Nelson Mandela. And you also wrote a poem there, um, When He Died, His Day Is Done. Can you take us through that poem and perhaps what sort of figure yes. he was to you? Yes, about oh, two or three years ago, the American State Department personnel called me and said that Mr. Mandela was very sick and it would be good if uh, I could write a tribute to him and not tell anybody I was writing it. So I said, yes, I'll be glad to. And they knew that I knew Mr. Mandela. We were friends. And so I wrote it. And then Mr. Mandela pulled through. He, he, he got well or he got better. And so the uh, State Department said they would put his day is done in a vault and no one would see it. And I must continue to be mum about it, don't tell a soul, and agree to not mention it until 48 hours had passed since his death. So I said yes. And so I, I worked on it a little bit, made it a little neater. And finally, when Mr. Mandela died, the um, State Department released it to the media, and they said they would send it around to embassies around the world. And it would be played in uh, in South Africa after his death. And the State Department people telephoned to say by the next day, the poem, His Day is Done, had been translated into 16 languages. So that was a good thing. His day is done, is done. The news came on the wings of a wind, reluctant to carry its burden. Nelson Mandela's day is done. The news expected, and still unwelcome, reached us in the United States, and suddenly our world became somber. Our skies were leaden. His day is done. We see you, South African people, standing speechless at the slamming of that final door through which no traveler returns. Our spirits reach out to you, Bantu, Zulu, Rosa, Boer, 
We think of you and your son of Africa, your father. No sun outlasts its sunset, but will rise again and bring the dawn. Yes, Mandela's day is done, yet we, his inheritors, will open the gates wider for reconciliation, and we will respond generously to the cries of blacks and whites, Asian, Hispanics, the poor who live piteously on the floor of our planet. He has offered us understanding. We will not withhold forgiveness, even from those who do not ask. Nelson Mandela's day is done. We confess it in tearful voices, yet we lift our own to say thank you. Thank you, our Gideon. Thank you, our David, our great courageous man. We will not forget you. We will not dishonor you. We will remember and be glad that you lived among us, that you taught us, and that you loved us all. One more round. I wanted to write a work song which included men and women working together because I thought that's the height of perfection. I wrote, There ain't no pay beneath the sun, sweet as rest when a job's well done. I was born to work up to my grave. But I was not born to be a slave. One more round and heave it down. One more round, heave it down. Papa drove steel. Mama stood guard. I never heard them holler because the work was hard. They were born to work up to their graves. But they were not born to be worked out slaves. One more round and heave it down. One more round, let's heave it down. Brothers and sisters know the daily grind. It was not labor made them lose their minds. They were born to work up to their graves. But they were not born to be worked out slaves. One more round, heave it down. One more round, heave it down. And now I'll tell you my golden rule. I don't mind work, but I ain't no mule. Born to work up to my grave. But I was not born to be a slave. One more round, heave it down. One more round, let's heave it down. One more round, heave it down. One more round, then heave it down. When I heard the poem recited by men, I realized that despite my intent, it was a man's work poem. I had women in the lyric, but that statement, one more round, heave it down, one more round, heave it down, told me 
Definitely, I had written a man's work poem. So I thought that men may work from sun to sun, but women's work is never done. So I decided to write a poem about women and work. Woman Work I've got the children to tend, the clothes to mend, the floor to mop, the food to shop, and then the chicken to fry, the baby to dry. I got company to feed, the garden to weed. I got the shirts to press, the tots to dress, the cane to be cut. I got to clean up this hut, then see about the sick, then the cotton to pick. Shine on me, sunshine. Rain on me, rain. Fall softly, dewdrops, and cool my brow again. Storm, blow me from here with your fiercest wind. Let me float across the sky till I can rest again. Because I've got the children to tend, the clothes to mend, the floor to mop, the food to shop, then the chicken to fry, the baby to dry. i got company to feed, the cotton to wear, the cat to wear. Fall gently, snowflakes. Cover me with white, cold, icy kisses and let me rest tonight. Sun, rain, curving sky, mountain, oceans, leaf and stone, starshine, moon glow. You're all that I can call my own. Remembrance for Paul. Your hands, easy weight, teasing the bees hived in my hair. Your smile at the slope of my cheek. On the occasion, you press above me, glowing, spouting readiness. Mystery rapes my reason. When you have withdrawn yourself and the magic, when only the smell of your love lingers between my breasts, then, only then, can I greedily consume your presence. On Aging when you see me sitting quietly, like a sack left on the shelf, don't think I need your chattering. I'm listening to myself. Hold, stop, don't pity me. Hold, stop your sympathy. Understanding if you've got it. Otherwise, I'll do without it. When my bones are stiff and aching and my feet won't climb the stair, I will only ask one favor. Don't bring me no rocking chair. Hold, stop, don't pity me. Hold, stop your sympathy. Understanding if you've got it, otherwise I'll do without it. When you see me walking, stumbling, don't study and get it wrong. Cause tired don't mean lazy, and every goodbye ain't gone. I'm the same person I was back then. A little less hair, a little less chin, a lot less lungs, much less wind. But ain't I lucky I can still breathe in? So hold, stop, don't pity me. Hold, stop your sympathy. Understanding if you got it, otherwise I'll do without it. Thank you.
You know, I was recently at a Robbie Burns supper night on January the 25th because yeah. I've, I've got Scottish blood running through my body. You know, I bow down to Burns. I had to do the lassie's reply at the supper and I read, uh-huh. I read one of your poems on ageing. So I love it. I love the wit and, um, you know, the, of course, the sentiments in it. Oh, lovely. <laughs> lovely. I love it and I love Burns. I teach a, a John, Paul Arndt Dunbar who reminds me of Burns, and Burns reminded me of Paul Archambault. It's as if both those men reached their hands right into their people's mouths and took off the top of their tongue, their tongues, the very essence of the people. So I teach Burns, and I teach Burns to African-American students and Asian students, and, and I try to get them to do Barons with a bit of the Scottish accent. You see yon birkie cod a lad. You see yon birkie cod a lord. What struts and preens and all that. What struts and stares and all that. Though hundreds worship at his word, he's but a coof for all that. For all that and all that, his ribboned star and all that, the man of independent mind. He looks and laughs at all that. He's a bit of coof for all that, for all that, and all that. He's raven star and all that. A man's a man for all that. For all that. Forget those pompous people and all that. <laughs> I know, isn't it? I love that, and I love another Scots piece. That I married a man who had some Scots blood running around in his veins, and he taught me. I belong to Glasgow, dear old Glasgow town, where there's something a matter with Glasgow, but it's going round and round. It's going round and round. I'm only a common old working lad, as anyone can see. But when I get a couple of drinks on a Saturday, Glasgow belongs to me. I knew. I knew there was going to be some Scottishness in you because your spirit is fantastic. (laughs) Finally, what are your hopes for America and maybe in particular women and African-Americans? Oh, I hope the same thing for America that I hope for Adelaide. I hope the same that I hope for Shanghai. And Mexico City, I hope the same. For Lagos, oh, Lord. I... uh, I pray that we develop enough courage to try to treat ourselves better than we do, forgive ourselves, and then learn to forgive each other, care for each other. I just hope that we develop enough courage to look into each other's face and say good morning and mean it. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. Angelo. My pleasure talking to you. It made me remember some things, and I loved it. Phenomenal Woman Many people wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, 
the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palms of my hands, the need for my care, because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's my mother and all your mothers and my grandmothers and your grandmothers and my great-grandmothers and your greats and my great-greats and your and all you women and me And in this Poetica podcast from RN, you've been listening to Maya Angelou, A Life in Poetry. The program was produced by Fiona Kroll and the sound engineer was Catherine Connolly. The complete collected poems of Maya Angelou is published by Random House, as are the audio recordings of Maya reading her poems. In our next Poetica podcast, a conversation and reading with Robert Adamson.